Welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast. It's sponsored by Zwift, the indoor cycling program that lets you ride courses from all across the globe, including your chance to ride on the course from the Richmond World Championships in 2015, where Peter Sagan won. See how you compare. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Uh, welcome to the Zwift Tour de France podcast, episode 18, and it's a race day, and I'm joined by Dave McKenzie, something very special. We said it in a uh, Facebook Live. Hi, Dave. Hello. Well, 18th episode. Whew, no wonder I feel tired. But it's about time we talk about wine, you know. Uh, you, uh, you did dare me to try some wine, uh, and here we are. So before we start this whole podcast, let me just remind you that you can download this podcast on SoundCloud. You can uh, find it on soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral, on our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral, and of course on iTunes, and schedule a ride uh, with our friends at zwift.com. This is done. Let's talk about the rest day and how we're spending our rest day, because you brought me to this special place, Dave. It's a pretty cool bar, isn't it, that we're sitting in? It's uh, it's actually quite gritty and grungy. I like that because they're the sort of bars I like hanging out in my home city of Melbourne, as uh, as I think you do as well. But we're in a beautiful wine region. I don't know a lot about this region. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Côte d'Or, but it's uh, we're just it's just shy of that area. But it is a good wine. And don't call them Côte d'Or here. Apparently, you would be offending them because they are anything but Côte d'Or. It's a bit like I would call you a kiwi. It's a bit like if I was calling you a kiwi. Come on, tell me why though. I don't know. Apparently, I've been told well, this is not code your own. Well, I'm not. Oh, you mean this region? Yeah. Well, that's what I said. It's not okay. I, I, I thought you were saying don't say code your own. It's called something different. Yeah. Like, like I'm, uh, I'm listening to the dude who hasn't drank wine. Like seriously. I know. I know. It's terrible. Uh, you brought me a selection here. I brought some cheese. We'll talk about the cheese in a second. Wine wise, what have you got for me? All right. Let's go with the very, very basics. Considering you haven't drank wine, so we have two flavors. Okay, one is called white, one is called red. They're distinguished fairly easily because one is white. So as the white, the one that is yellow is actually white. That's right. I know it's a little bit confusing. I know it's a bit confusing. It's not completely white. And if it, if it is white, I'd suggest don't drink it. <laughs> but the red one, what's well, it like a ruby red, isn't it? Okay, I'm playing, I'm playing thick here. <laughs> I've got some basics. Uh, this white one, uh, what can you tell us about it? I think, you know what, I've found out only just that the... The president, the new French president, who I think you're a fan of, and I don't want to get political, but apparently he's like put his stamp of approval on this white wine. Apparently this particular white wine. So we'll show it to the camera because if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see this, but I was on Facebook as well. Uh, this is a white wine, uh, Laurent Arbar, which is from the area. It's a Croze Hermitage, selected by the people of Emmanuel Macron. So the French president might be drinking this just right now. Well, you see, there's one small problem I have with that. I find... Most politicians globally quite boring. Uh, careful what you're saying because Macron is pretty cool. Oh, you are getting political. Oh my goodness. I'm not, not even talking politically, he's just cool. Yeah. Oh, so, so, so he can run the country into the ground, but as long as he's a cool cat. He'll do, he'll do it the cool way, you know, we'll have fun on the way. <laughs> you French are easy. I want to come and govern your country. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so this white wine is not served at Buckingham Palace, but it's served at the Elysee Palace, the French president's uh, home. Well, you know what? What I do know about this region is it dates back. Uh, all wine regions in Europe date back. We know that. But in its modern appellation, 1937, it was formed. So, and what I what I do, what else I do know, because I spent some time living in Switzerland. We're in a valley, and the hills slope. So it's the lighter style. So we've got the Syrah, 
grape. And, uh, and there's a couple of others that it's not that, don't expect that Shiraz style type that we get back in Australia or Cabernet so, uh, uh, or the, all of the heavy red grapes, you know. It's that more that lighter stuff, Pinot Noir, stuff like that. So it is a beautiful region though, isn't it? Uh, while you were talking, I've been sipping my way. So I'm just going, let's go first. Yeah, cheers, cheers, cheers. Cheers. And I've been sipping my way through. Mm. This is actually... It's nice. Do you know what, Maka? I'm starting to like your president. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what, Maka? This is actually beautifully light. It's flavoursome. I can be convinced on this. Really? Well, you better send a case home then, because I don't think they'll sell this. Well, maybe they will in Australia. I don't know. It's a, like, uh, they say it's bio, so it's a, it's a green uh, organic oh, that's wine. Good. That's good. That's what you want. You want... Yeah. It, yeah. And you know what? I'm a massive fan of European wines, and for the people who think I'm being a snob... I will say it's only in the last five or six years that I've turned off Australian wine. I, I don't want to say that, but I'm saying it because I think there's a more natural process with the European wines and they are beautiful and you wake up with your head just slightly fresher the next morning. Do you know what? It's delicious. It's really fruity. I, I don't even want to... I'm, we're going to have to, but I don't even want to go to the red wine. We'll do it in a second. You're going to the uh, right order. I'll tell is you it? that much. Yeah, yeah. Always go, the, always go the lighter ones first. So if you're drinking red, you've got to go the lighter reds first and then build up. So And, and vice versa, if you've got whites and reds, always start on the white. Okay. We're, le we're learning a lot about wine here. That's good. It's quite funny. An Australian guy teaching a French guy wine. It's it's uh, I know it's unfathomable, isn't it? It's crazy. We're messing with pe we're, we're messing with people's mind here. <laughs> I know. I think all of our listeners. We've already had a few comments saying the Frenchie who doesn't drink wine. How funny! I, I, that's becoming a trademark for me. So I can't start liking wines because that's my trademark. Well, all I'm saying to the listeners: imagine imagine at the di imagine the dinners I've had in the last eighteen nights. He doesn't drink wine. So imagine, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm making up for your shortfall as well. So whew, I wake up a bit average. We got a good week. Uh, ahead of us. Uh, let's move to the red. So we are talking uh, uh, again, a, a Cros Hermitage. So we are again the same description. This is not Côte du Rhône. Uh, let's have a look at this red. Um, should I be looking at something special in the, the color? It looks very dark to me. It is dark. Yeah, I'm interested in how it tastes. Well, let's let's go. It's good. Oh, it's smooth. It's smooth. It's like velvet. Now I know you said the people here do not want to be known as Côte du Rhône. Say it fast. Cote de <laughs> It's similar. It, no, you know what it is? It's got that beautiful, velvety, smooth taste. Smooth and just go, it goes down really smoothly. Excellent. Are we going to be able to talk about the stage after this? I was just going to say, what are we doing? Are we, talk, are we on the Tour de France? Or, or are we like, uh, you know, a, a French and Australian traveling around France giving um, food, food stories? Uh, people at SBS, if you check out, uh, maybe if Gabriel Gatte is a bit tired, we, we can do something. Yeah, well, Gabriel, he'll be getting jealous, I think. I think he would. Uh, so this is, this is actually, you know, you know, you having some success here. Yeah, look, it's, it's very hard to get a, a bad red in anywhere in Europe when you are in the region. And, and, and I know it's the same anywhere you go, but what's important is always drink in the region that you're in. Always drink the wine in the region that you're in. Don't drink a wine from somewhere else because they know what to give you. In any bar, cafe, restaurant, they know which one to sell you and they, they're not going to sell you the, the most expensive one either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the cheese because, you know, in the, in the little uh, live stuff we've done the other day on TV, I said I was killing it in cheese. Uh, yes. So basically, I'm going to show it to the camera again. Uh, yes, we've been nipping at it a little bit. We have already. It's nice. Well, it's, you, can, you can now tell all so, the cheese. I, I don't know much, but this is a fresh goat cheese, which is apparently 
basically made about 300 meters from where we are, just from the corner. How fresh is this? Oh, lovely. Look at this. I'm going to try it now. Mm. Mm. I don't know if I can talk anymore. <laughs> it is yummy. It is very yummy. And yep, you have been killing the cheese, but you've nailed this one. Wow. You don't even need bread. Mm. I know. Goat's cheese, you like to mix it with something sometimes, but... Wow, that is good. That is that, very good. That is proper flavour. Yeah. Uh, what we're going to do then, we're going to carry on drinking our little wine mm-hmm. and then we're going to play a pre-recorded interview ad with Paul Sherwin. Uh, Paul Sherwin, a man you, you like deeply. Oh, he's a... No, oh, absolutely. Paul Sherwin is a star. He's... Uh, I think he's underrated too because of... I, don't, I didn't want to mention uh, the other, his other sidekick, but I will. But he's underrated because he works with another legend, Phil Liggett. We all know that. He's a, he's a bit the Stan Wawrinka against uh, Roger Federer. You know, he's so good, but he's got someone that's got just a tiny bigger era, uh, aura than him. Yeah, and, and the difference is Paul was a professional cyclist. I think he rode seven Paris-Roubaix, so he's a star. And, and he's, he's a, just a nice guy too. Absolutely. Uh, let's take a break, and then when we come back, we'll talk to Paul Sherwin. Zwift is a sponsor of this podcast and we love it. It's a transformative indoor cycling platform where you can connect with rides all over the world for group rides or workouts. But it's also free for kids. Under parent supervision, kids under 13 can sign up for an account and ride for free. It's a healthy game for them and a way to let them play while also getting them off the couch. So if your little one wants to join you, you can Zwift side by side. It's pretty cool. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. We're here, uh, especially uh, and very happy to be with Paul Sherwin. Paul, how are you? Ah, good. It's been a great couple of weeks at the Tour de France before the last week of the Tour. It's been a great tour so far with lots of stories. So, so far, what's your highlight? I mean, uh, beyond the race day, uh, is there any key highlights for you? Because we have a race on our hands. Uh, you know, when you look at the history and you go back to see the top four riders inside 30 seconds, that's never been done in the Tour de France. So that, for me, is exciting. The, the organizers wanted uh, a different race. I think they've got it. They planned a very clever route. Some people complain about the, the boring stages where the breakaway goes. I love the boring stages because then we can talk about the chateaus and the history and the, the beauty of France. There's been a lot, actually, a lot of discussion about the short stage as well. What did you make of that short stage? Because it was really punchy. In terms of if we think we are in a, in a business of entertainment, that was actually quite interesting to watch. It wasn't. It was the best. It was the greatest. And I mean, you look at some of the stages and I mean, it's it's never the route that makes the race. It's the riders. If the riders aren't scared, if you've got a two and a half, three and a half hour stage, everyone's going to go out flat out because they're not they're not worried about tomorrow, the next day and all of that other stuff. They'll they'll go for it. And that was a brilliant stage. Nobody was scared. And so uh, we saw some real entertainment. How's your tour going? We all know the story that you're not the voice on, on SBS, but you're still around. And uh, tell us a bit about, about how you're leaving this tour with, with your other half for the tour, Phil Liggett. Yes, my other half. Uh, Phil and I have been on the Tour de France together for 32 years. It's Phil's 45th tour this year. It's my 39th. And he never counts the seven that I actually did on the bike. I don't know why that takes it up to 39. We're not happy that um, we're not uh, able to do the world feed anymore. But, you know, things have to change. I think Robbie and Matthew are doing a great job. Um, and it's nice to be included a little bit in SBS and come and give our uh, views every now and again. We know the, the fans in Australia love to listen to us. Um, we're still around. We're not going anywhere too soon. And um, 
we hope to continue our long relationship with Australian cycling, let's not forget. Australia is doing not too bad as well this year. Michael Matthews the win, shame about Richie Porte, but uh, so far it's... That would have been a big, big difference to the uh, final week of the Tour if Richie Porte had still been here. But, you know, I, I feel very sorry for Richie because that was, that was a sad, dramatic crash. And I, I wish him all the best and I'm looking forward to seeing him. Because I, I remember interviewing him at the Santos Tour Down Under this year in January and I thought, wow. I've never seen Richie like this. I've never seen Richie quite so skinny, quite so confident. Um, so it is a pity, but he'll come back and, um, and I'm sure he'll be a factor in the tour next year and I'm looking forward to that. But Michael Matthews, very special because it was the 28th individual stage victory by an Australian, very special. And I, I still think that Michael Matthews can dream of getting that green jersey. You know, it's a long way for Marcel Kittel to drag his body over the next week. Absolutely. One last question. In the podcast, we run this sort of feature on who are you? So who are you, Paul Schoen? Uh, something we don't know about you. You live, in, you live in Uganda, am I right? You are absolutely right. I'd like to think that I, um, I model myself on uh, Crocodile Dundee, the African Crocodile Dundee, because um, I grew up in Africa. I rode a bike as a professional cyclist for uh, 10 years, but I still live in Africa. I love Africa and I, my my. my background is I like to go out into the bush and when Mick Dundee said that's not a bloody knife well I've got a bloody knife and I always get a, a bloody big knife when I go to Australia because you never know in this day and age there might be a bloody big snake around the corner somewhere. Absolutely when you see the rise a few years ago we had the rise of the African cycling the, the, the African in you must have been really pleased yeah? Still is and don't forget I never forget and I always like to remind people Chris Froome was born in Nairobi, Absolutely. went to school in South Africa, and at heart, even though he wears that uh, little red passport now, the British one, at heart he's still an African like the rest of us, and he is so happy with the improvement and the, and the, the, the excitement that African cycling is getting now. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's Kenya, whether it's Rwanda, whether it's Eritrea, Ethiopia, it's cool, it's great for the continent. Absolutely. Paul Chauvin, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. If you've tuned in by now, you'll have worked out that we're really big fans of Zwift over here. It's a transformative indoor cycling platform where you can connect with riders all over the world for group rides and workouts. But did you know you can also automatically download everything to Strava, Training Peaks, Today's Plan and Map My Ride. It's super easy to set up so you can track your progress and your rides. Just another reason to hop on Zwift and give it a spin. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Tour de France podcast. While we've been uh, drinking a bit of wine and uh, having a bit of cheese, there's still a bit more. We're not getting completely pissed. Don't worry. <laughs> no, not yet anyway. Uh, I am a little bit because I don't drink wine normally. So um, my ears are a little bit red. <laughs> <laughs> I've just noticed that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, let's talk about uh, so first of all let's talk about Paul Sherwin what a lovely guy he lives in Africa he loves his cycling he does he lives and breathes it and, and it's amazing I think he's the type of guy that when he when he uh, you know when he's not at cycling though he has another life that goes on and uh, that's important for anyone you know in, in those sort of jobs and um, even for us you know you, you live and breathe it when you're working in it but gee it's it's so consuming as well, and um, but no, he's he's got the right balance, and I don't think he takes himself too seriously either. You know, he's just uh, like I said, he's a down to earth guy. I did a French interview with him, and he gave me the best Marseillean accent I ever heard from a British guy. Really? 
Absolutely. Wow. wow. With the pusher and everything. Oh, yeah. He's, he's pretty confident. I'll give him that. He's a commentator. Commentators generally are pretty confident. Absolutely. Let's talk about the uh, cycling a little bit. So I'm going to show you the stage because you're on, uh, if you're on the progress, you can't see. But if you're on the video, you can see this is the stage uh, tomorrow. Uh, basically, stage for the opportunist. I know you're going to say this. It is 100% for the opportunists. I will say, you know what? I, I, I used to have this coach. And he, he said once when he would say 100%, this is what will happen. And if it doesn't happen, he said, I will run naked down the street with ginger spice on my shoulders. Uh, I'm, I'm just nearly choked on some cheese. You're going to run naked if tomorrow is not what? So thankfully for ginger spice, he was, he was, he was generally right. So he didn't have to find ginger spice. And this is going back about 20 years when obviously the Spice Girls were big. Now, I'm not going to say I'll do that, but I will run naked down the Champs-Élysées if a breakaway does not win this stage because it is totally set up for the breakaway to win of all of the stages. They start at 600 metres, they climb up. So they start where we left it last time. So because sometimes the, the start is a different from the finish, but this time they start from Le puy en volet This is exactly where we left them last time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, yeah, so they're at 600 metres when they start altitude. They climb up uh, on a four, almost five kilometre climb. It's only a Category 3. It's pretty much at the beginning. It plateaus, Category 4, and then they effectively descend down almost to sea level. Not quite, but effectively... You know, they, they go down to the flatlands. And where it ends, it's just, it's completely set up for the breakaway to succeed. So for guys like Michael Matthews, it, it can work for him, but he really needs to make that break at the start of the day. So you're telling me that whoever basically goes on the attack pretty much from kilometre zero or kilometre one, uh, so someone like Vauclair, for example, if he goes through an opportunity, where do you see um, the, the breakaway taking place? the lead straight away from the from the beginning yeah that's interesting i think it, it, it because you know guys are running out of time teams are running out of time teams like dimension data they haven't won a stage they lost their main man mark cavendish they've had other opportunities they've come close do you think they're under pressure to win of course they are there's a little bit of pressure there's always there's always pressure and dimension data would have come here to win and their team manager he understands he's an ex-professional but dimension data the sponsor they want results, absolutely. What about BMC? Same, same sort of pressure or not? No, no, I don't think so. But I think, they're, and they're, they've got a, they've got a they're, they're let off the hook because of Richie Port. That was, they put all their eggs into that. Yes, they want Greg Van Avermaet to win. Uh, he didn't win when Michael Matthews, you know, completely got the better of him uh, the other day, a couple of days ago into um, Rodez. But that, that's okay. They're not saying, well, Greg, now you've got to win. If you don't win, it's a failure. You know, they've got an excuse. Dimension Data haven't really got an excuse. They, they need to deliver. So Dimension Data, do you think Cummins uh, can do it? Because he's been trying and it's very opportunistic. Are you pinpointing someone like Cummins on this stage? Yes, he's one of them. I'll tell you what, just on Cummins for a second. The two stages he's won in the Tour de France, he sits on the back of a peloton. Now I'm generalising. If he was here, he'd debate that. But he sits on the back a lot of the bunches. When he's racing, he's off the front. He's not at the front of the peloton. He's off the front. So he's an amazing rider who can read a race. And he decides, stage 16, that's the one I want to win. Bang. Is is the British champion and the British time trial champion as well, isn't it? 
I don't know. Your knowledge is better than mine. I think you, no, I think you're right. I think you're, he's wearing the jersey. You know what? I did not focus on the national titles this year. They're all a week before the European ones. They're all a week before the Tour de France. I switched off completely. But just on him though, he really. I think he needs to deliver. He needs to because if he doesn't deliver and he's sat on the back for two out of the three weeks, it's not a big team player, is it? If you win, he's delivered. Happy days. Because with Cav gone. He's kind of the secondary leader. Uh, does he have to carry that flag? Do you think does he have to... Is that an opportunity for him maybe to show other teams that he can be the leader of a team? Um, you know what? I'd put him on level pegging, though, with Edvald Bass and Hagen. He's been fantastic, hasn't he, in the, the stage sprints. I don't think anyone expected Edvald to get that close to Marcel Kittel. Uh, what was it? A pixel <laughs> on the stage to Nui Saint-Georges. So he's been good. He's been exceptional. I, so I think he actually needs to step up, Steve Cummings. I think he, and that, and that's I'm being critical because he's won two stages of the Tour de France, but they bring him here for that, you know. So he needs to do it. Yeah, but you are as good as your last stage. Yeah, absolutely. You are only as good as your last performance. So they expect them, and when they're paying the dollars, you know, that's you're not here to ride around France, do a lap, and enjoy the sun. You're here to race, unlike us. Unlike us, we're here to cover it and talk about it, which is good. It's easier. Well, it's not easier. No, it's hard. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. <laughs> uh, so Cummins, maybe. Matthew's difficult. Any, anybody else? Uh, Vaucler, you mentioned. Uh, it's those type of riders. Um, you know who I like? Dylan Van Baal, Cannondale Drapak. People are probably saying, who is this guy? Twice top 10 in the Ronde van Vlaanderen and Tour of Flanders the last two years. He's been in breakaways. He, was, he impressed me a lot at the Dauphiné uh, this year, just prior to the Tour de France. He's exceptional, this guy. He is strong, and he's been in some breakaways here. So he's my outside pick. Okay, so I'll make a note for my tips tonight in uh, our little, little competition. That's how I've been doing it. That's, that's insider trading, you know. You haven't noticed. This is how I'm picking my tips. <laughs> well, I expect a case of this stuff on my doorstep when I arrive back in Melbourne. If I win and if you run naked down the Champs-Élysées? Well, it's summer, so it won't be too chilly. What, it depends on what time of the day I have to run down the Champs-Élysées. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been lovely to have you. Uh, nearly finished two glasses of wine, which is a lot for me, I'm telling you. Uh, I'm half pissed, to be honest. Afternoon siesta. I'm on. Thank you, Dave. No worries. Thank you. And this is it for us for the Zwift Tour de France podcast. You can tune in on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral. And you can also uh, find us on our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral. And you can also, you can see my, I'm slowing my words. <laughs> and you can also schedule a ride on zwift.com. Uh, next stage, next podcast will be available tomorrow morning. Goodbye. Have a great day. À demain. Thanks to Zwift for sponsoring the SBS Tour de France podcast. Every day throughout the Tour de France, there are SBS group rides that you can join and see how your wattage output compares to the likes of Richie Port and Chris Froome. Check it out today by visiting Zwift.com to learn more.